0: Hello, everyone. Happy holidays and almost Merry Christmas to all of my wonderful, wonderful listeners. My name is Heidi Kumjan and I am your host. I'm a certified holistic health and nutrition coach with a passion for non toxic living, and it is my pleasure to host this show all about non-toxic living and longevity to help break down those barriers to entry so that everyone can live a holistic, happy, and healthy life. Today, I'm bringing on one of my fellow Chicagoan folks. Her name is Lauren Less, which is so fitting with her Instagram handle, at LessWithLore. I always thought it was just a play on words because she is a big influencer in the non-toxic living and allergy-friendly living space. So I always thought, oh, it's more of like a minimalist approach, less with lore. It makes so much sense. But legitimately, her last name is Les, which is so cool. So Lauren Less has created a space for people to find allergy-friendly recipes, chronic illness support, non-toxic lifestyle suggestions, and overall just a bunch of health and wellness tips. She discusses everything from fitness with chronic illness to tips for traveling with food allergies and everything in between. She knows so much about something called MCAS, which is what I want to spend the bulk of this episode going into, which is mast cell activation syndrome. So with that, please join me in welcoming the wonderful Lauren Less. Hey, Lauren. Hi. How's it going? good how are you good ready to chat about MCAS yes yeah it's so fun that we're both located in Chicago and that we we met online at first and then we got to meet in real life the other day which was super fun
1: yeah I love that about Instagram just being able to like connect with people and then connect with them in real life too it's been really cool it has been.
0: And speaking of really cool, you have a very cool <laughs> slash um, intense journey about, you know, getting from where you were to where you are today. And I think we should start out by rewinding a bit and and going back to really where your journey began with chronic illness, MCAS, environmental illness, how you got into non-toxic living, like take us back.
1: Yeah. Okay. So (laughs) there's a, there's obviously like, as you know, so many different layers to this. And we were talking about this before when we met up, but it's like at the time when I was going through it, I didn't really know what was going on. And then now looking back, I'm able to be like, okay, that was a trigger. And like, that was a trigger. So it's like, I had to get to this place to know what the full story looks like. Um, But just like a brief summary is this is kind of what what I put together is my symptoms started when I was like in middle school. So it kind of just started with like joint pain, fatigue, just noticing like it was hard for me to go to my sports after school. Um, I was always tired. I thought that like the joint pain was just from gymnastics because that's what I was told. I was told there was nothing wrong, that something came up on my thyroid when I was younger and then they did further testing and then they were like, no, it's it's nothing. So I felt like I hit a dead end and I was like 13 so I didn't question it any further and then I think I just started to notice um as I got older that like my friends didn't need to sleep as much as I did and like I would go on vacations or trips or even in college like it just took my body so much longer to recover and I was just like okay I guess I'm like need more naps than the average person um I think senior year of high school, I had like some symptoms, I got mono. So that was kind of a trigger for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I had some like GI symptoms. um, But those kind of went away. And then college, um, I just noticed kind of the, you know, fatigue and not recovering as quickly. I was honestly tired all the time still had the joint pain. Um, And then, I mean, I've always had some allergic symptoms too, but those didn't really kind of like blow up until later, but Mm -hmm. I got a concussion senior year of college. And so that was definitely a huge trigger, which I didn't know at the time. Um, But I didn't really, I don't really ever feel like I fully recovered from that, Um, which is interesting because there's studies Mm -hmm. on that now that basically say like, if somebody Is feeling like they're not recovering from a concussion and their symptoms aren't going away that like it could potentially be lyme or a co-infection so that is interesting
0: that Um, is interesting yeah how did you start getting these answers i know you're still telling your story but yeah um or clues (laughs) sometimes they're not (laughs) full-blown answers they're just yeah
1: it's just a puzzle i mean i so after I got a concussion and after college, probably like 2015 to 2017, I would say my GI symptoms started getting really bad to the point where I was like, something is like literally not right. My stomach hurts every day. I'm bloated. I have trouble eating things. Um, I think it just like a lot of us, we get to the point where it's like we can't live our lives anymore and we need to figure out what's going on. So, Mm -hmm. um, I think it was kind of like I was at a you know high stress job where I was working like 10 or 12 hour shifts and then I was also doing a yoga teacher training and my body was just kind of like mm. this is enough, like something's mm-hmm. wrong. I need to figure out why. So I ended up going to Mayo Clinic, which was helpful because they did a lot of tests and the GI there was like, I think you have like this connective tissue disorder. Um, so that was kind of the first arrow that pointed me towards some of these things. Um, I had to, and and this is the frustrating thing too. And this is part of the reason I have my page and share so much is because it took me a year from seeing that doctor at Mayo to get an appointment with the geneticist. So like, I just like, was like, do I have this? Do I not like what's going on? So I think the wait times are really frustrating too, because people yeah. just in this limbo of like, you know, and, and a year feels like so much time that you could be treating or making progress or, you know, doing all these other things. Yeah. So, the system is, is really tricky here. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, So, yeah. So from, from that diagnosis, Um, I was able to find a great physical therapist and learn a little bit more about like some of the conditions that are like comorbid of, um, EDS and two of those are POTS and MCAS. Um, a lot Mm. of people with EDS have POTS and MCAS. So after that, I did a tilt table test, was diagnosed with POTS. That was like another long wait, but, um, yeah, so I kind of figured that cluster out over the course of maybe, like, another year or so. But the physical therapist was kind of a
0: key a yes. key connection that helped you yeah. Yeah. put some of the puzzle pieces together slash right. guide you in a direction of new areas to research and
1: mm-hmm. consider. Yeah,
0: because, right.
1: Like... I got diagnosed by the geneticist, but then I didn't get any referrals to any, like mm. I was referred to physical therapy, but now I look back and I'm like, why wasn't I told about POTS? Why wasn't I told about MCAS? Why wasn't I told about like all these different things? Like collagen is everywhere in our bodies. So it causes multisystemic symptoms. And that means that you know, people, everyone's different, but we can all have issues in different parts of our body. So Mm -hmm. frustrating that we're not told that it's like, here you have this, like figure it out on your own. Yeah.
0: I mean, there are, uh, I I don't want to generalize, but from my experience with the Western medical system, granted you were at Mayo, so you were at the top of the top, but even at some of these top of the top institutions they they only know what they know. They right. know their lens of medicine mm-hmm. and symptomology and putting band aids on symptoms. Mm-hmm. not saying that's totally what you went through, but it it's very frustrating when sometimes you want to just know, well, why is this happening in the first place? Like, what is the root cause of all of this? Mm -hmm. Um, Which I think you're finding this physical therapist and maybe learning more about MCAS and POTS and then eventually probably Lyme disease and chronic illnesses. It's like peeling back those layers and layers. Um, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So then from there, like from there till now, what has happened in your journey? Yeah. So, well,
1: so after, <laughs> in summary, <laughs> right. There's, so there's, there was one more like main trigger. Um, I was exposed to like this terrible black mold, and that set off like all my allergy symptoms. Um, like I was having sinus issues and like just runny nose and, um, like chest pain. Mm. I was starting to get hives. I've never, I had never gotten hives before. Um, so I was like, what is going on? And I think it's hard because I went to like an infectious disease doctor and they tested me for all these allergies and they were like, well, you're not allergic to mold. So you're fine. Mm. Like So that kind of like shoved me off this path for a little bit. But I think I'm lucky in a way that I like the mold I was exposed to. I saw it. It was all over a wall. And then I feel like my symptoms happened like immediately after that. Mm. Um, So I always had it in my head like this caused something like.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: so, So eventually I was able to find a doctor who knew about mold and lime, and like how it could all kind of play into these symptoms. So hmm. That's then, good.
0: that you found someone.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm really just lucky that I did because I don't know where I would be now if I, if I didn't, but, um, yeah, I was lucky to find a doctor. I think it was like from honestly, from a Facebook group. Oh uh, yeah. Those are helpful. Yeah. It is it is helpful to find doctors in your area the Facebook groups like I think it was an EDS Facebook group. Um, Got it. That was that set me on a a better path definitely. Good. Good. Okay, so
0: well first of all thank you for sharing every detail, summarized detail. I know it's years and years of of pain and frustration and fear and also joy, you know, there's, there's good times and and bad times through chronic illness. Um, but I'm really glad that you are on this path of healing now and that you are sharing information. You have a really special niche on Instagram with allergy free living and MCAS. I know you mentioned a few different things that you have dealt with slash are dealing with, but I'd love to go deeper into MCAS because that's not something that I've ever talked about on the podcast with any of my guests. And there's no better person than you to speak about MCAS. So are you comfortable with us going a little bit deeper into that? And would you be able to explain what it is and what are the symptoms?
1: Yeah. So the thing about mast cells that I've learned is that a lot of doctors don't know that much about them and that makes it even more frustrating and it's hard because like we kind of have to end up we end up doing our own research um right. is what's happening right like I never thought I would learn this much about the human body and here I am but um, Same. yeah <laughs> mast cells so those are there are types of cells in our immune system and we have them in tissue all over our body and basically they're they're protective like they um they help us but the problem is it's the over in in mast cell activation syndrome it's the over response and inappropriate response of the mast cells that can cause issues so um you know if if we're stung by a bee and then we got inflammation at the site, like that's, you know, a protective response. But if we are eating a food that we're not allergic to that we like eat every day and our body is labeling it as like a threat and our Mm. mast cells are reacting inappropriately, that's where it can cause issues. And that's where it can kind of be scary because some people with MCAS have anaphylactic reactions to foods that they don't have an IgE allergic response to. So that's Mm. where it gets really tricky with the food allergies too, because it's, it's kind of blurry. The testing's not always accurate. And while food allergy testing is not fully accurate in general, but with MCAS, it kind of adds another layer to that. So Mm. it can be hard to figure out what's, you know, what's safe. Um, Yeah. That's
0: really scary too, especially if anaphylaxis is getting thrown into the mixture.
1: Right. Yeah. But so it's the symptoms are tough too because there are multi-systemic symptoms like it could be like chest pain, nausea, hives, um, pain, fatigue, fevers, weight loss, swelling, itchiness, runny nose. Um it it's just kind of multi-systemic systems that make it hard because a lot of us end up going to you know, doctors for all these different specialties. And it's hard to put the puzzle pieces together and see that, like, it's, it could be this one thing that's like causing all of this, all these different things. Mm. Jeez. And
0: then as far as things that throw MCAS into, or throw those mast cells into overdrive, What are some of those things like what is the connection between chronic illness and MCAS or environmental chronic illness, whatever?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think mold definitely can be a trigger. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of doctors kind of speak about the connection between mold and MCAS. And I definitely think the mold exposure I had was a trigger for, for MCAS for me personally. Um, and I do think it made my pot symptoms worse. So there's kind of a connection there, and mm-hmm. then cats and pots can play off of each other. Um mm-hmm. so it's all like this complex web. and sometimes it's sometimes it's not actually possible to figure out what symptoms are coming from what to. Mm-hmm. Um, so it it makes it really tricky.
0: Yeah, it's definitely not an an easy path to be on, but thankfully, Thankfully, I think it's gaining a little more traction, at least in the yeah. holistic health space, functional medicine. There was just that summit that was put on, on health means, on MCAS with all those different experts. I know we had, yes. we've had we already talked about that, but it <laughs> it's helpful that there are people coming out yeah. here and um, researching and figuring out these connections. I was talking to someone the other day and just kind of echoing what you were saying about going to these different specialists, sometimes you, you know, you go to the the neurodoctor to look at your brain to figure out, you know, why you're having these this brain fog or fatigue, whatever. And mm-hmm. then they might know what they know as far as medicine for your brain. Mm-hmm. um for neurological symptoms or surgeries things like that. But if you go in there and you tell them that you also have these other symptoms going on that pertain to a different part of the body that they're not a specialist in that's what makes it that's one of the things that makes the the western model so tricky is because it's not holistic. It's not looking mm-hmm. at the entire body even mm-hmm. if they were going to treat only using medicine, like, wouldn't it be beneficial to look at something from the whole body point of view? What is going on, you know, in your circulatory system? How is your lymphatic system? How right. how are all these things playing together? And that's really frustrating. I mean, I was going to... Um, because you know, I had mold illness. I went you, you know, you're going to the lung specialist, you're going to the neuro, you're going to the um e n t you're go- and then they're they're all doing their own separate stuff, and no one's talking. and mm-hmm. no one's figuring I don't know anything out. I don't mean to be getting frustrated,
1: but it I'm just um, it's very frustrating, yeah, it's yeah, and I think a lot of people have that same story and it's it's frustrating it gets expensive and then it kind of just so feels expensive. like it's in a goes in a circle and we are the the ones who have to put the puzzle together and that's ultimately what I've learned is like I think a lot of us grow up and think like doctors have all the answers and we put our health in their hands and I think ultimately what I've learned is like we are responsible for our own health. Like we have to be the ones to advocate for ourselves, put the puzzle pieces together. If we feel like something's off and a doctor's not finding it, like it's okay to get a second opinion or go to another doctor or find a specialist. Um, You know, and I've had to like very specifically curate my medical team with doctors who who know about these things. Mm -hmm. Um, So.
0: Yeah, and being our own, Advocate for our health and doing that research on our own. It's not something that growing up, yeah, we would expect to do because we just put our trust in the experts and the white lab coat when in reality, no one's going to know our body better than us. Right, but exactly. it is helpful then to have doctors that do understand it. They have access to mm-hmm. testing and, and different things. You can really work with your curated, has to be curated care team to to get better. Um yeah. But yeah, taking accountability and um just grabbing kind of that control yourself is is huge. But it's really scary because the easy thing to do initially before you're like deep into all this, the easy thing to do, right. oh, go to the doctor. Mm-hmm. Let's get some medicine and let's get better. Mm-hmm. It's, it's unfortunately it's not that easy. So MCAS is it's it sounds kind of scary to be um, fully honest. When you when you're hearing about what this is and how it can cause all these different reactions and it's hard to diagnose. Um, let's talk about some solutions and what are some ways that you are managing your MCAS symptoms. What are some ways that people can I guess, maybe learn more about MCAS or if they already have MCAS, what are some tips you could share that help you? And maybe they, you know, everyone is an individual. Certain things work for certain people, but curious to hear what's worked for you.
1: Yeah, right. I think that's the thing too, is it can be so individual. Um, But like the typical... The typical treatment for MCAS is an H1 blocker, H2 blocker, and like a mast cell stabilizer. Um, Personally, I'm the type of person who tries to take as little medication as possible. That's just how I approach things because I don't want to become dependent on these medications. A lot of them do have side effects or long-term side effects or... We don't know if they have long-term side effects. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of how I approach things. So I I try to take as many natural antihistamines and mast cell stabilizers as possible. Um, I'm taking Zyrtec right now. Um, that was the whole thing because they just took the dairy, the one that doesn't contain dairy off of the market. But I was able to switch to the children's one. But now they say that they can't they, they don't add dairy to it but they can't um promise that there's no dairy in it so that's kind of a hard thing too for people with the dairy allergy to find a anahistamine mm. that's sorry going off on the tangent but anyways no it's um, important i'm also taking quercetin and luteolin um mm. which are like natural mass cell stabilizers and um, those have really helped me a lot. Um, oh,
0: good.
1: so that's good that is I think there the brand
0: pers- that you personally like, again, this is whenever supplements are talked about, right. I have to emphasize it is so bio individualized, but I'm just yeah. curious because I, um, there's a lot of brands that I see myself going back uh, time and time again, to.
1: Um, yeah so i the supplement that i use for quercetin is called dehist mm, um i feel like i've heard of that yeah it's by orthomolecular molecular products yeah the thing with that one is it's not necessarily super mcas friendly um mm-hmm. some of the things in it but i've had no issues with it so it's very individual and it's been working for me so i'm trying to transition onto Luteolin and off of quercetin but Right now I'm on both, and like I'm okay with where I'm at. So,
0: I actually Uh haven't heard of luteolin. I'm really familiar with quercetin, and (laughs) I like to drink like tea with citrus peels, yeah, because those naturally have quercetin in them. Um, Right, but what is luteolin particularly?
1: Um, luteolin is like another flavonoid that that can help with Mm -hmm. mast cell. um, Got it. So similar to quercetin. Yeah yeah very similar um so that's that's been helpful too and the brand that i take for that is ludomax hmm got it
0: i don't think i've heard of that one yeah so cool. well, i'm glad great. those are helping you
1: yeah that they're more it's, natural yeah, it's anti-inflammatory antihistamine um neuroprotective so it has some some important properties that are helpful. Um and then something else that I do is uh it's like called nasal chrome. It's a chromalin nasal spray. Um I hmm. like that one because it's not a steroid and it's it helps me a lot with like my sinus symptoms. Oh okay. So very cool. Yeah. Very, very Um, cool.
0: And then, so those are supplements. And then what are other things as far as your lifestyle? Because I know you have a allergy friendly lifestyle as you like to call it. Tell us a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah. So something I noticed was that I actually was starting to react to things that are more toxic in our world. So like laundry detergent um I was starting to get hives from like the typical laundry detergent brands that like most people use um Mm -hmm. I was starting to get symptoms from like a lot of scents like perfumes or like if I walked into like a hair hair place like all those smells like really triggered me Mm -hmm. my eyes would swell up um I started getting eczema on my eyelids. I'm not sure exactly what that was from either, but I started getting all these symptoms. So, I slowly started learning about all the toxins in everything that we eat, use, you know, um just everything that surrounds us. And I think it's, you know, it's it's a tricky There's a tricky line. Like I try to live my life and also like make the safest choices possible for my health, especially at home. So Mm -hmm. at home I try to be pretty strict about things. Um I filter my water. Um, you know, I filter my my bath and shower water too, because we can absorb different chemicals through our skin. Mm -hmm. Um and Illinois has the worst water in the US. By the way, yeah, it's if you go to the EWG website and type in your zip code, you can see what's in your water, and a lot of water we definitely should not be drinking. Mm -hmm. So, to your
0: point, bathing in, yeah,
1: right, or bathing in, right, and like we're absorbing those things in our skin too, and Mm -hmm. um, you know that's important too.
0: Yep, I even heard this is a, a slight little tangent, but from showering in the water that's chlorinated not only are you getting exposed through the dermal absorption, but also through inhalation because the chlorine, um, you can smell the chlorine gap. It yeah. turns into a gas and then you're breathing that in. So you're getting actually lung irritation, which
1: is wow. not good. Yeah. No, it's not. Yeah, And I think there's a huge lack of awareness around all of this too. And that's another Absolutely. reason I share some of these things because it's just there's so many things Um, and I think just getting the information out there so that people are aware of it and then they can choose, you know, Mm -hmm. where they're going to try to do better. Obviously, you know, for people with chronic illness, it it tends to be more to an extreme because like, I always say like, I literally have to do this. Like I don't have a choice. Right. Right. Yeah. It's like that this is
0: how I can live. (laughs) It's not, a choice and yeah. it doesn't feel like a chore or an inconvenience when it makes you feel good. So Right exactly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. I think it's it's something that I know I'm doing that's nice for myself and my body. And that's try how I try to frame it versus being like, This sucks. Like I have mm-hmm. to do all these extra things. Like I'm taking care of myself. And that's something that's come out of this journey as well, I think it's just, you know, my mindset around taking care of my body is so different. Yeah, that's good. I
0: mean, there will always be silver linings, even when it even when there's no sugar coating, that it like it just straight up sucks to suffer. Right. Um but yeah, I mean you're you're educating people and helping people so that Is definitely a silver lining in itself. Is you're helping get the word out about these things and helping people live a more non toxic lifestyle and allergy friendly lifestyle. Are there any other tips that you have as far as allergy friendly living? I know you posted recently about these cards that you made for like going out to eat and then also some date ideas. So if you have any, want to share about those? I really liked seeing those.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, specific for food allergies or certain triggers, I made um, these cards on Zazzle that that are for those are for like my IgE food allergies, but they basically say my allergens and um, it's a good way to kind of communicate with the waiter and the chef um, so that you know, if I'm speaking them, I don't know if they're like, maybe if they've written them all down, it just helps things to not get lost in translation. Um, so smart. That's, that's been helpful. And I so think it yeah. just, you know, reinforces the severity, like, Hey, I have this card, I need you to like, bring it to the chef. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, helped me eat out with, with less stress.
0: Yeah. Do you ever, I, at least I know of some people that will call the restaurant ahead of time mm-hmm. and make sure that like, for instance, people I know with severe celiac, they can get on the phone with restaurants. Yeah. Is that something you've done or yeah. recommend being helpful?
1: Yeah, I definitely recommend calling. Um, usually, I'll look online first at the menu and kind of see, like, are they aware? Do they label things gluten-free or vegetarian or vegan or whatever? And then I'll call the restaurant on... Um, a lot of the times they're, they're good about it and they let me speak to the manager or the chef, but I would recommend calling like at an off time, like between lunch and dinner or like right when they open or something like that. Um, so that, you know, it's not a crazy time where they're like slammed with a dinner on a Saturday night or something. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So that's been helpful. It's been, it's helped me to get more access to who I need to talk to. Hmm.
0: Good, good, good. That's a great yeah. tip too. I mean, I think they're myself, like I don't have severe food allergies, but I definitely have sensitivities and those need to be taken seriously. Um as well. Obviously it's a different level of severity than it's not as severe as something like a uh food allergy where you could use an EpiPen, but um I sometimes I like don't even want to speak up about it or at least in the beginning I didn't want to speak up about it because I didn't want to inconvenience anyone or feel awkward but now I'm at the point where it's like hey I have to do what I need to do so that I can feel good and not feel like very inflamed and triggered and sick (laughs) it's like would I rather maybe feel slightly embarrassed for a microsecond or would I rather feel sick and inflamed and disgusting. So yeah, yeah, not that it is embarrassing, but you know what I
1: mean? It's yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, that's a common theme. A lot of people who have food allergies might feel like a burden or feel like they don't want to inconvenience people, but like, it's literally our our life you know in the case of food allergies or our body or our well-being and i think you know food sensitivities can be very debilitating too and i think not everyone realizes that you know if you ingest something you're sensitive to everyone's different but you can have like people have like neurological symptoms from gluten or that's you know, what happens to me
0: yeah, yeah. that's mm-hmm. literally what happens yeah yeah my brain so- starts going like I get so confused and tired and it's freaky. It's really, really freaky. Yeah. That's the main thing yeah. gluten does to me. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So. And I, I mean, I definitely have food sensitivities as well. And that's kind of a whole other thing. But I did this full elimination diet and I like lost so much inflammation in my body and my joints feel better. And my GI symptoms are like, 80% gone so it's wow. been kind of crazy but that's where I think the MCAS kind of ties in is I'm very strict low histamine right now and so the MCAS can actually be causing GI symptoms so that's something that it's very hard to make a connection with sometimes hmm. um, but is yeah M- a lot of layers.
0: is MCAS something that like I mean I truly believe everything can Be healed is MCAS something that you think can be healed, or it's one of those things that you just learn to manage better
1: and improve symptoms. So, I think there's a lot of (laughs) there's a lot of like um, conflict around this, yeah. And I know it's controversial. It's you know there there's talk of like being able to put it into remission. Um, there's like a blogger who speaks about how she put hers into remission. But for me, I really believe that I can heal some of these things. And I think that one day I I won't have to live this, the way that I'm living. I won't have as many symptoms. Um, it's, I think it's a tricky question to answer. I think there's a lot of components to it. The EDS is likely genetic. Um, it, it's a genetic disorder, but they haven't found the genes for my specific type yet. So that's where it's it's hard, and how much of it ties in with you know some of these other things. Um, and that's where the MCAS webinars I watched were really interesting because a lot of these doctors have different opinions on you know how these things all interweave. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the answer is we don't really know yet, mm-hmm. but for me, I believe that I'm going to be able to get my body into a better place.
0: Yeah, and that belief is—I, that's the secret ingredient too. Right. And yeah, in the chronic think, illness space, yeah, there's a lot. I got to be careful what I say, but there, it's an easy space to get discouraged in, mm-hmm. yeah. and there are people that start identifying with their illness and only their illness. And that's what I
1: was just going to say too, yeah. is I I feel like for me, well, and, and it makes sense because for me I had symptoms for so many years and then I found, you know, found out what it was, got these diagnoses. And then I was like, okay, I have this, like this, you know, EDS, this is the reason for all this stuff. And you kind of latch onto it because it explains all the suffering you've had for so many years. Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of people make it a huge part of their identity. And I used to have it in my bio. I used to have like, you know, EDS, POTS, whatever. And eventually I I think some people get to this point and I got to this point of like, I don't want this to be a part of my identity. Like, um, right. I want to heal from these things. I want to get my body into a better place you know, it's, it's something that might always kind of be there in the background, or if if I have, you know, a trigger in the future, some of these things can come up again. And I think it's kind of one of our like weak spots, but Mm -hmm. I was like, do I want to associate myself with all these things? Like, am I telling myself every day that I'm sick? Mm -hmm. So that's where the mindset really comes in, Um, you know, and doing a lot of that work, I think is so important too. And it's a tricky I mean, it's a, you know, when you talk to people about it, it's a very gray area. It's a, you know, you want to validate what you're going through, but then also think about what do you want your mindset to look like? What do you want your life to look like? You know, do you want to wake up every morning and kind of sit in this grief and sadness of, of being sick? Right. And, you know, so that's, that's, I think a huge piece. It
0: is a huge piece. Something that I did when i was at my sickest is i think i forget how i i i came to this idea i must have heard it in some meditation or or something like that but but also when you're at your sickest you you tend to try things that you're like you don't even know sometimes i don't know if this resonates with anyone but like you just kind of Maybe an an idea comes to you, and you just kind of try it because you're like, maybe this will make me feel better. So, yeah. I was meditating yeah. a lot when I was at my sickest because I couldn't, I didn't have any answers to my my physical illness. I didn't know what was going on with my body, but I decided to get in control of my mind because I'm like, okay, I, I feel like I don't have any control over my body right now. I don't know what's going on. There's no answers. I'm not being validated what I have power over right now is my mindset. So I started doing this meditation before bed, where I would visualize myself looking in the mirror. And on the other side of the mirror or into the mirror, I would see myself when I was healthy before all these symptoms. And it was almost this way. I was trying to reprogram my brain, especially before getting into sleep, into that subconscious state, reminding Mm -hmm. myself that I was healthy and like, I'm going to be here again. Mm -hmm. And it helped me. It helped me a lot. I'm not saying, hey, that solved everything and I didn't need to do anything on the physical side of things. But that was really, really huge. So don't underestimate the
1: power of your mind. Yeah. No, I agree. I think um, you know our our minds are so powerful and can play a huge part in this. And there's a lot of talk of you know the brain retraining programs and rewiring our limbic system to kind of get out of that fight or flight freeze response. And that's important too because there's these like feedback loops that we created. A lot of us have created, and it's not that we've created them intentionally. It's it's you know a survival, yeah, right, and we can create new neural pathways. We can teach our brains a different way. We can tell we're safe and our brain is like warning us that there's a danger when there isn't a danger present. So we kind of have to reteach our body and our brain that like, it's not dangerous and we're okay and we're safe. And I think there's so many different ways we can do that. And like your the meditation you were doing is, is one of them. Right. And mm-hmm. You know, something else that I like to do, I can't remember where I heard this, but is like write down proofs that I'm healing. Like mm. what that is proving that I'm healing. And so I try to write that down every day. Um, you know, like my GI symptoms have gotten 80% better and I feel like my mast cells are more stable than they were, you know, a year ago. And you know whatever else that that gives yeah. you evidence that that you're healing i'm getting stronger i'm you know my inflammation has decreased um yeah i love that things like that are important too
0: yeah sometimes when you're you're in the day to day it's it can get monotonous and it can get it's right. tiring it's tiring work it's very tiring work it is. but it is. Yeah. um but being able to sit there for a second and journal and realize whoa like looking back two months ago looking back six months ago looking back a year ago two years ago whoa like i i'm going on the in the right direction yeah there's days yeah. you know like there will be days when people it's the two steps forward one step back like that's a real thing healing's not linear very cliche mm-hmm. saying but it it's yeah. so true so that's i like true. that i like that that tip of um well I guess it was sharing what you do, but that that's a good tip for the audience to maybe try yeah. just writing down and reflecting how they've improved. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Do
1: you have any? Oh, go ahead. I don't know. I was just gonna say, I think a lot of us, you know, we, we always look forward to what we can, you know, continue to do for our health. And that's good, too. But sometimes looking back and seeing how far we've come, is also important to kind of keep us going. Absolutely.
0: I actually wrote a letter to when I was at my sickest, I wrote a letter to my future self, like my healed self. And I still have not opened it. I don't yeah. know. I don't know why it's probably just because it's like very emotional, but yeah. um, it'll be cool to read that one day. And I think even maybe doing that exercise now, now that i yes, I, I feel very good, but there will always be things in life. I have different stressors and different things we all do. And, um, maybe I will write a letter to myself in in five years down the road and just be like, Hey, like, this is where I want to be. And then check in on it. Um, I'm going, I'm going a little bit. In a different direction with that. So in closing, do you have any final resources that you want to share with the audience? Or can you let them know where to find you?
1: Yeah, you can find me on Instagram. My handle is less with lore and my website is gonna be up soon too. Um, so that'll be dot so com. Yeah, hopefully hopefully we'll have it up before Thanksgiving. So I'll have some allergy friendly recipes and I'm hoping to kind of share my story more in detail, share more resources. Um, so that'll be cool too. Awesome. That that. should
0: probably, (laughs) maybe it will be live by the time this episode goes live. And if not, I can backtrack and add the link in to the show notes whenever. So awesome. Very exciting. This was fun. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks.